Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation. On the channel you can find all sorts of podcasts, shows, live and recorded. You can watch the video versions at youtube.com slash acepodcastnation. Please give us a subscribe and uh, the audio versions at all the usual podcasting radio apps and platforms. So uh, today I'm going to talk a bit of football uh, and I am joined by uh, TalkSport contributor, contributor, easy for me to say, and uh, Beyond the Pitch uh, media host, Mr. Phil Brown. How are you, my friends? Good, sir. How are you, mate? Good to be back. Yeah, it's good to have you. It feels like I haven't had you on for a while. Like, we did a couple, right, didn't yeah. we? Quite close together. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, it's been a, obviously an interesting six months, as it were. But uh, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure the weather outside your window is better than mine at the moment because it is absolutely pissing down. But there oh. we go. We are it's going to be 43 degrees this weekend. Oh, it's, it's hard. It's, like, no, it's hard. just me. Um, I think I live in a submarine night with my skin, but yeah. There we go. So I suppose the, the obvious place to start is uh, Manchester United have signed a player. <laughs> Donny van yep. der Beek. I think mm-hmm. uh, what a fun... Well, first of all, I say I think what a fantastic signing. And mm-hmm. um, to think that they've signed... Uh, him and Fernandez for what about a combined eighty million, mm-hmm. and they were getting quoted hundred million for Madison. I think mm-hmm. eighty million for Grealish, mm-hmm. and in my opinion, both the players they've signed are probably better than either one. You know whether that turns out to be the case in the future, obviously is debatable. But at the moment, well, I mean, look when you look at Madison and Grealish. Uh, they cost a lot because the clubs that own them don't need to sell. So if you don't need to sell, you control the price, you control negotiations. This is part of the problem. You know, to have a Jaden Sancho and that, you know, British Dortmund are in control because they don't need to sell. People talk about COVID price and everything, but that's only relevant if you need to sell. You know, so um, if I knock your door tomorrow and say, you know, I want to buy your car. You don't need to sell it, and you need the car. And I said, and you said to me, "What? Twenty grand? Then? Well, you, well, now you got to take COVID into consideration. You got to give it to me cheaper. Oh, well, it's only relevant if I have to sell it. Yeah. You know. So, um, so you know, and we know there's a tax on domestic players, which truly is insane. You know, um, rumors two weeks ago, we never were being quoted forty million for David Brooks, who of course is an exceptionally young Welsh lad. Very, very talented player, but if you know you can get around a bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's another great point, long stuff. So, you know, when you're listening to stuff like that, um, and then you can get, you know, a Van der Beek for cheaper, you know, it, it makes a it makes a mockery of it. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's um strange. Do you think Jaden Sancho will end up a United player? Oh, cautiously optimistic on it. I, I don't know a lot on the inside track of it, side, to be honest. But um, all I will say is um, the people that do know are cautiously optimistic. Um, 
that situation is fluid. Obviously, it's it's fluctuated a lot. Some people, in the beginning, I was confident that United would do it. I was less confident that they would do it. Um, having had some communication with them about what their financial situation was and what their strategy was this summer, and one of the things that we were really emphasizing was it's not business as usual. Well, if it's not business as usual, and you look at what United have spent in previous summers, it's around the 110, 120 million mark. So it was hard for me to see how they would spend 100 million on Jaden Sancho when they're emphasizing that it's not business as usual. United can finance it. Um, but Bruce Dortmund, I think really the, the biggest impediment is how much Bruce Dortmund want done. And if Bruce Dortmund insists on 80 million cash down, then I don't think that deal happens. Yeah, yeah, it does seem that way. I think, um, I know I saw some of your tweets like a while ago and you mm-hmm. seemed a bit more confident than perhaps recently. And at, at the end of the day, like you say, Borussia Dortmund don't need to sell probably are not desperate to sell him. He's a very, very good player. Um, it's, it's an interesting one. I, th- I think, uh, like, it's, uh, like I obviously I've got no sort of knowledge of AI, but I think he will, but I think it'll be late in the window. Um, obviously, the window, I think, closes after the season starts uh, this season because of the various implications of lockdown, uh, etc. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, really, with the... Uh, Van de Beek is—is is there any concern there from you as a fan um, that maybe, or how he adapts to the to the Premier League to Manchester United? Obviously, uh, the most recent Dutch player I think United signed would be Depay and Daily Blind, both of which did okay, but didn't necessarily you know go on and do perhaps as well as was hoped. <laughs> No, I mean, look, obviously you can point to absolutely any situation. Uh, you can point to English players of the field United, you can point to Irish, Welsh, whatever. You know, um, this is part of the reason why I've always found some of the reaction uh, internally to United to be a bit puzzling on some of the new strategies. So, Angel Di Maria didn't work out five years ago, so therefore we've completely abandoned the policy of Senate Galacticos, if you want to use that yeah. awful term. Um you know, just because Di Maria didn't work out doesn't mean the world's, the rest of the world's top footballers wouldn't work out at Man United. It's, it's insane. You know, but what I will say is that what we're seeing at United has been starting to see the last 12 months. They've still got work to do this, this summer. Um, if they don't bring in another two players, then it would be a very, very disappointing window. But what I will say is what they are signing seems to be as a result of a much more sensible strategy that is a much more sensible process of elimination where they are sending players that are suited to how United want to play to now they have an identity again where under Mourinho it was really difficult to define what United were. Under Van Hal it was really difficult to define what United were. There was no uh, style. There was no... It was... It was um, they had players that weren't suited to how Mourinho wanted to play. They weren't really going to give Mourinho the money to bring in the, all of his own players that he was going to need to play the way Mourinho wanted to play. He started with his faith in that. When it was the second season, when they were being chasing parasites and everything, um, they just felt, you know, they, once you go down this road with Mourinho, you go all the way. And then once he leaves after three years or whatever, you have to have revolution again because the next manager comes in won't be able to replicate what Mourinho did with those players. We saw this into Milan, we saw this Real Madrid. So just thinking I uh, didn't want to do that. So, uh, But what we're seeing today is a much more sensible strategy from United you know, where uh, they are buying players that are suited to the football club tactically and um, on the pers- on, in terms of the personality, uh, in terms of the values and all that. Uh, and then they're also buying players that are suited to the way they want to play. Um, and so... We see players that are brought in to fit a system. Um, and Because what we would see in the past is players that were brought in, they started okay because you'd have that initial enthusiasm and everything. And then once they settled into a system that they weren't brought to, to play for, that, that, that weren't their strengths, that, that um, they were sometimes agent-driven or whatever, they would be trying to integrate it into a system that they weren't really suited for. Um, and some of this was a result of a manager, say, you know, Mourinho asking for a right back and not getting one and getting a sentiment feedback, you know. And so um, what we see today uh, is really refreshing. Uh, we see 
all right, half the season you have a problem at left back. So they go this summer and they try to address the left back. In the past, what we'd have seen is that being neglected for three, four years, inexplicably. Yeah. So yeah, so definitely today there seems to be much more, much more sensible strategy and how they go about selling players. Yeah, we um, the last I feel like the last couple of times we you've been on, we um, we talked about the lack of cohesion in the transfer approach. They would need a, a centre midfielder, and they'd sign a striker, or they'd sign a you know a, a centre back or whatever. It does feel like since Solskjaer's come in, or certainly over the last you know probably eighteen months, there seems to be that cohesion again in what they're trying to do. There seems to be a plan. Uh, they seem to be looking at young players who have got a sell-on value if you like i i kind of i, I kind of hate that that side of it i'd rather clubs whoever they are look at players who they need and they want rather than oh well he could do well for us for a couple of years and then we can sell him for a, you know more than what we paid for him but i understand that it's a you know there's a business side to everything as well um how do you think solskjaer's done overall since he's come in, because I know I think, I think off the top of my head, the last time you came on, he had not long come into the job, and um, the obviously mm-hmm. with the Cardiff links as well. I asked you the same question. Well, I think um, you, as in this saying in, in football and boxing, whatever, you're only as good as your last game, your last fight. So if you look at Solskjaer over the course of the last six months, he's been the most consistent manager in the Premier League over the last six months. Uh, once he's been given the tools to do the job, he's improved in it. What happened last summer, and he might have to take some of the blame because he's the manager and you take responsibility for this, but they went into a season completely unprepared for the season, personnel-wise. Um, they had one creative midfielder and Paul Pogba, who very rarely stays fit throughout the whole season anyway. And even if he had, he would still need to be rested and rotated. But Paul Pogba was fundamental to how United played. Um, so it was inexplicable that they let Under Herrera move with their ten and replacement. This is, of course, on top of what letting Fellini go before that and um, not replacing these players. Uh, and, and so they were completely unprepared. Um, that's a failure of recruitment. And even in January, side they left it too long to send Fernandez. Fernandez should have been sent six months before. Then they get him at the very end of the window in January. And they scrape, I mean, even after signing him, to finish in the top four, United needed to be the most consistent team in the league, which looked utterly impossible. I've said this many times, but United signed Fernandez. They were closer to the bottom three young points than what they won in the top three. So they bring in Fernandez. Crazy. Um, yeah. And Solskjaer performs a miracle and gets him into the top four. And, um, but even if they'd have sent Fernandez two weeks before that, maybe they wouldn't have had to go to the last week of the season to go to get that. I'm sure they'd have picked up a point somewhere else. Um, so, you know, they, they need to learn from that and learn that last season, what happened the first half of the season was entirely predictable and entirely a consequence of, uh, of uh, a failure of governance and a failure of recruitment and failure to do the things you need to do. This season, they can't do that. I'm hoping that come the end of this window, there's at least another two more in. Um, they're looking at the left back, which is encouraging because that is a problem position. They need a left foot centre back. That's a problem position. They need a right winger um, uh, and uh, as another alternative. Igalo leaves in three months, so um, they need another another player there. So the centre back one interests me because I see like straight away I can imagine people saying, "Oh, they spent eighty million on uh, Harry Maguire and mm-hmm. they've got." Eric Barry, uh, Bailly and they've got mm-hmm. uh, Lindelof um, all of which I think on their day can be very very good um, I feel quite sorry for Harry Maguire um, I'm going to ask you about his recent situation in a minute but but in terms of just on the pitch I feel quite sorry for him because mm-hmm. I feel like uh, Lindelof and Bailly to a, maybe a lesser extent but Bailly has problems with fitness and appearing regularly through the season um, I feel like they they haven't got the right player to play alongside him. So what happens is he ends up making uh, perhaps errors or mistakes that he wouldn't make with a different partner alongside him. Um, and at the end of the day, that's down to whether you say the manager or the club to, to make sure the right personnel are there. Um, do you think 
that if they don't sign an, a centre back to play alongside, I'm assuming you want to sign a centre back to play alongside him rather than replace him. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but no, do you think right. that if they sign the right centre back, we will see a better version of Harry Maguire? No question about it. No question about that. Look, first of all, um, small details make a big difference in the Premier League, right? Because teams are scouted forensically. So, uh, you and I know Harry Maguire's not a left for the centre back. So, you can bet their life so does every forward in the Premier League who knows to show him onto his left hand side and get him on his weak side. Um, and, and that's where they look to exploit. Um, so, for me, that is a, uh, a priority. It has to happen. And they have to get a left for the centre back. They cannot have any serious intentions of challenging for the title without that. Um, you know, so it's honestly, it's like crossing the ocean in a dinghy with a, with a hole in it that you plugged up with tape. You just, just can't realistically expect to get there unless you, you address this gaping hole in your team. And to me, it's probably the most important position that they need to address. Because uh, I look at the other positions that they need to address. Left-back is a problem position, but they're not as exposed at left-back as they are at left and centre-back. Right wing is a problem position, but they're not as exposed at there as they are at left-back. So for me, the, 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 the most important thing in the summer has to be a left-footed centre-back. McGuire's a better defender than Lindelof, um, so I think he would start uh, centre-back right-hand side with a left-footed, but also not just a left-footed centre-back. To me, they have to have to be able to play out from the back because that's a problem for United. Uh, they get caught out a lot doing that. And they have to have pace because um, when you play high lines, Maguire's not lightning quick, so we need someone to be able to cover. Uh, so the problem is, side they're not easy to find. No, is there anyone so, that you have got in mind who you'd like to see the club go after? Well, Upper Meccano's the obvious one, but the, you know, you look at people talk about Partores and stuff with Villarreal, but if Guardiola is going to spend $45 million on Nathan Ake. And that's it in Partores. And it tells me that Partores is not ready for the Premier League because you're imagine Guardiola would have went there first. And Nathan Ake is a good defender. I, I think he probably would have been someone suited to United if they had a win for him. $45 um, million though? $45 million is good. Man. He's a good player. Very good player. What a bonus. Better players. Okay. So if there's not an obvious player, and if you talk about the players that constantly get linked, Koulibaly... You saw Koulibaly in the Champions League this year. Um, you know, Chris Smalling went to, went to Roma and got into Serie A team of the year. Koulibaly didn't look that outstanding to me. Rafael Varian didn't look that outstanding to me. And um, we've had to overrate these players because we see highlight reels. People don't actually sit and watch these games week in, week out. Um, uh, and it's very, very hard to do. You know, um, uh, I had Franz Hook on my podcast a couple of days ago, he, of course, was United coach, coach at Barcelona, coach at Bayern Munich, coach at Ajax, coach at Dutch national team. You know, Johan Cruyff brought him the Ajax. Cruyff brought him to Barcelona. This again was just football, right? So um, we were talking about this even when they were at Bayern Munich, and they were struggling for ball playing centre-backs at Bayern Munich. So what they did was they brought Ribéry and Robin from the wings, brought them deep, and would ask the keeper to tip over the first line of defence to the wide players and start the attacks from there. We were saying at United, because with Jones and Smalling were ball playing centre-backs, they had to do that with Fellini, where he was in his first start of attack, where they play him deep in midfield, knock the ball up to him, take the ball and start attacks. So there's other ways of playing out in the back, but um, but uh, I think United also have an interesting situation to goalkeeping situation with Henderson and De Gea, um, because that's also going to be very important to be getting a solid back four. I think they will start as a number one, but certainly won't get, if he makes the mistakes he made last season, he won't stand the team. Do you think, uh, De Gea, I'm going to ask you about Chris Smalling now in just a second, but um, I'll tell you what, very quickly, do you think, um, would you give be tempted if the money is limited for this summer to give Chris Smalling another go if it meant signing Jaden Sancho? And then just having the two players come in? No, I, I think um, you know, had Chris Smalling there for nine years. Yep. We've seen the best Smalling, we've seen the worst Smalling. Um, to be fair to the guy, super nice human being. 
and he's had a great time in Italy, very, very successful there. It's been the best build of his career, probably best for him to be out of the environment at Old Trafford um, in a different environment where it's appreciated and where it's a whole different game and he's he, he's playing well out there, uh, not to see him pressure at Rome and all that there. And I wish him nothing but the best. I don't wish any United player um, any negativity. Um, but Smalling always worried me. He was always an accident waiting to happen. Um, one thing you can coach that is intelligence. And Chris Smalling would often, you'd often see him get booking first 20 minutes. And he guaranteed he's going to get sent off for some utterly stupid. And uh, I remember him doing this at Man City once. And um, he has that same sheepish look when the, when the cards come in. You're like, this was so predictable that this was going to happen. And, uh, you know, so you need to be able to trust your players in big games and to be able to trust your players that they're not going to do something stupid like that. And um, Chris Mullins is just not someone that I you can put a lot of trust in. And he's not someone that, to me, went to Italy and became Baresi in 12 months. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think um, whilst it might be tempting to give him one last go because he had such an impressive season, like you say, I think... Uh, Premier League fans have seen the best and the worst of Chris Smalling, and on his day, he's fantastic. I really believe that. But mm-hmm. he's him and Phil Jones. They have the potential, or they had the potential, whatever you want to say. Um, talent-wise, is there uh, whether it's mentally or whatever you want to say, they they've got a mistake in them, and unfortunately, it's a regular mistake. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't think you can make that sacrifice, even if it means the difference between someone like Jaden Sancho coming in. Um, the goalkeeping situation really fascinates me. So um, my oldest son, who's coming up 16, uh, is academy goalkeeper. Um, so I kind of have spent a lot of my years, you know, helping him train and looking at Excellent. the tactical side of, you know, goalkeeping, basically. And it is completely different to any situation on the pitch, obviously. Mm-hmm. And when goalkeepers make a mistake, it's a goal. When a left-back mm-hmm. makes a mistake, there's a good chance the goalkeeper or the centre-back's going to dig him out of it. Or same with midfielders, strikers. Why do you think David De Gea went from being almost unbeatable and one of the best, or probably the best goalkeeper in the world, to to at points last season mm-hmm. looking? Uh, I don't know, even know how to describe it. There was points last season where he just looked not up to it at all, um, and I thought he didn't look up to it mentally. I got to say, in terms of his concentration, more than anything. That to me is the one question mark that I have about the hair. I was taking a look at his career, I don't have the notes anymore. But I was looking at a lot of the mistakes that he makes, and he makes a lot of mistakes in important games. Even when you go back to Moy's first season, he never won the League Cup semi final, basically there against Sunderland, and he drops a, a clanger in the last minute, and Sunderland ended up going through on penalties. And then I look at like the Euros he went to with Spain, where I think there was something like eight shots on goal against them. They conceded six. Mm. Um, and and I looked at a lot of mistakes to make it United. Chelsea, Arsenal, back-to-back. Chelsea again that season where um, there was key moments in the game that were costing United these points. And he'd done an interview last season when United were going through that really bad patch. I think it was after Newcastle. We know he lost to Newcastle. And he looked completely dejected. And he looked, yeah, he said this was the worst it's ever been during his time at United. So it's possible it is mental in the sense that, uh, like you said, uh, goalkeepers are a completely different position. Mentally, they have to be exceptionally sharp. Um, they have to be uh, individuals. They have to do things that... Um, and they can't rely on other teammates to bail them out. It's a very difficult position at a top club where you're constantly under pressure. But, you know, I, I, you, with the modern game being that goalkeepers need to be good with their feet, David De Gea has never been exceptional with his feet. Um, uh, and Dean Henderson's got delivery problems too, which uh, he's not perfect either. But um, you sacrifice that for David De Gea's shot, stop an ability and say, okay, he's not great as a sweeper like Addison is, but he's great at shot stopping. That's really aggressive. When he's no longer a great shot stopper, 
then you do have to ask that question. When I remember an article about two years ago, someone said, I can't remember who wrote it, um, that Ederson was the best keeper in the Premier League. And I was offended almost that even someone would suggest that. It seemed like nonsense. It seemed like fun for nonsense. It was so obvious to me that David De Gea was the best goalkeeper in the league. Um, but he, but you couldn't say that today, you know. But you're talking about a guy that Ocean did nothing. He's he came here for 17 million. Uh, he was United's Player of the Year, I think, five times in the last six years, um, which says everything about United. Um, and, you know, he could have went to, you know, all the times in the square for a lot of money when it probably would have benefited him. Um, so I, I really like De Gea. Uh, and I think um, it will be interesting to see how he responds to the challenge of Dean Henderson because this is the first time at United he's had a really serious challenge to his number one spot. And if you look at De Gea, the year he almost left when Van Hal played Romero for the first three or four games, um, you know, he, he he certainly didn't look happy about being left out. So he's not the type of keeper that's going to tolerate being number two. Uh, and this will be the first time we really see where, where we're at with De Gea, um, what, how he responds to this challenge. And he never spent a lot of money on wages on goalkeepers. So it's not a long-term solution to have De Gea and he, Dean Henderson as one and two. One of them will... One of them will, will, will what this will be their one of them. This will be the last season at Old Trafford. Yeah, it's an interesting one because um, well, well, I think with De Gea, what United have always had is they've had some of the best second choice goalkeepers in world football. Um, in Romero, um, even you know Lee Grant, people like this, people who are very very good. They can do a job, you know, for a couple of games here and there, but generally they're not going to be your first choice keeper. So he's never been under. A massive amount of pressure that he's going to lose his place long term. So, if Dean Henderson comes in in the same form that he's had for the last couple of seasons, De Gea will be under pressure for his his place in the team, especially if he makes a high profile mistake, because the fans will be calling for it, or the media will be calling for it. You know, De Gea took a lot of criticism from the certain parts of the media. Roy Keane was as brutal as, as he is um, mm-hmm. about his performance on several occasions. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think Dean Henderson is the answer if De Gea ends up, you know, whether he's being make a mistake and being dropped or going? It's hard to say because um, the one thing we don't know is how is Dean Henderson going to handle uh, being Manchester United goalkeeper. You know, playing for United, and playing for Sheffield United were different things. No disrespect to Sheffield United, who were amazing this year. But the pressure, the scrutiny on, again, as we said, a goalkeeper is immense. And you really don't know the answer to that question until you put somebody in. And how do you deal with the pressure of having to win every week? And when Dean Henderson makes a mistake, one or two, the pressure will be immense. It's not going to be like Sheffield United, where it's forgotten about the next week, you know, where there's no real national media attention, where Dean Henderson doesn't feel the same pressure at United. All eyes will be on him, and he is the guy that has to prove himself. De Gea doesn't. So Dean Henderson has to come in and play better than De Gea to get that position and has to be someone that retains that consistency. So there's going to be different questions asked of Dean Henderson because even himself at Sheffield United wasn't under immense pressure of losing his season. He knew himself he was guaranteed it. But to be fair, most goalkeepers are in that situation where they know they will be picked no matter what, unless something catastrophic happens. But um, but as we've seen with Chelsea, with Kepa, you gain it's a position you can't win the league with unless you have a top goalkeeper. Um, so for Dean Henderson, this is a massive challenge for him. Uh, I assume that he nothing will shock him if he doesn't start the season as number one. Uh, I doubt that will shock him. I'm sure Solskjaer has told him this is, you know, you have to win the, that shirt if you feel confident. I'm sure they they, they gave the uh, Henderson the option of going back out on loan and saying, do you want to go back out on loan for another year, or are you confident enough to stay here and win the shirt? Because if he stays and he doesn't get that shirt in the first couple of months. He really can't complain because I'm sure he made that decision to stay. 
yeah. um, and he won't be getting it unless the hair's playing exceptionally well. So uh, uh, the hair's playing exceptionally well. So uh, it's a good situation for Schultzker. But we're sitting here talking about Dean Henderson, who's on allegedly one hundred and twenty thousand pound a week, Jeez. and David Hill on allegedly three hundred and fifty. That's f- almost five hundred grand a week, right? Uh, two million a month on goalkeepers. Right, that's, that's not. That's not sustainable, is it? No, it's not. It's not yeah. a tenable situation. You know, it won't continue with that. But here's the risk: say, if Dean Henderson comes in and takes that with the head position, right? And this is where I don't understand United's you know, strategy on this. This is why I probably would have either tried to sell the hair this summer, um, uh, because one of the two of them is going to have the value greatly diminished by the end of the season. Because if the hair is United's number two. They're not going to be able to command a big fee for him. They're also going to have a number two stuck on 350 grand a week, which is going to be very, very difficult to shift. Yeah. And so, and then if Dean Henderson can't take that number one shirt, then his value is greatly diminished. I would imagine if he doesn't take it, they'll loan him out somewhere in January. Um, he wanted the Euros next summer, so he has to perform. He has, he has to, to be in the team. So, um, yeah, so it's going to be really interesting. And I, I just, it's really strange to me, given the money the hair is on, which is relevant, to then potentially relegate him to a bench where you're going to have a very, very difficult time moving him on next season if this doesn't work out. Yeah, it's going to be a really, um, really interesting situation to follow. But, um, you know, like we said, there's no way that United or any club can sustain having two goalkeepers mm-hmm. on that amount of money every week. It's just, can't, can't be done. Um Switching gears um, a little, I wanted to just chat to you a little bit about um, Jesse Lingard. Um, mm-hmm. I saw a tweet you put out the other day. Um, basically, to paraphrase what you said, and, and you correct me if I'm wrong, you basically said that you know basically you'd like to see him go, but you'd like to see him go and be go somewhere, be very successful, um, and you feel that the abuse that he's take uh, be taken has been disgusting, unwarranted. Mm-hmm. Etc. Etc. Is that about right? Uh, more or less, long and short of it. I yeah, that, I mean, not word for word. But. Oh, I, I, it's the same general point. Yeah, look, I, I wish the guy nothing but the best. First of all, as a footballer, I don't think he's much as another quality. No, but that's not crime of the century, right? Um, it's disappointing to me that this is a young kid that's come through Manchester United's academy. United fans are always some fans are always wanting young academy kids brought through. Um, part of the club's culture but then if they fall just slightly short of what they think they should be and I spent playing video games and all this for this nonsense this obsession um, then the guy is subjected to absolutely disgraceful abuse um, and that is just an embarrassment to any human being who would take their opinion of a footballer and feed that entitles them to then level Disgraceful abuse of them. You know, I, I, don't, I doubt people would feel that same sense of entitlement if members of the public committed on to them and their job. I certainly wouldn't. So I think there's also, we have to countenance this against mental health and the fact that what must it be like for Jesse Lingard and his family to have to read that? I mean, imagine Jesse Lingard, I think what he do. Yeah, I mean, imagine like, the guy had children and someone's reading that about their father. Yeah, I mean, at, what, at some point you have to say as a human being, as a grown-up, say, listen, whether I read them or not, this is only football, right? Uh, yes, it's important. Yes, it matters. Yes, it's relevant to us in our lives. But the guy's a human being. In this Daily Mail, uh, modern proclivity of the, the determinant players' worth or human beings' right to feed the press based on how much money they make really is, is disgraceful. And, and ah, it's weird, mate. Honestly, I find that, that it really is strange. It, it, it's just a misunderstanding of what mental health is, and really illustrates how far we have to go about mental health education. And and the thing that the 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 solution and the cure for mental health is fiscal wealth. It's just ignorance beyond belief. And um, you know, say. Uh, you know I've been open about my own mental health battles. Yeah, we talked about it on. Uh, yeah, we did a show on them on our mm-hmm. both our situations, didn't we? Yes. So you know I've battled uh, depression and addiction for ten years, 
uh, there, thereabouts. And in the midst of a lot of my worst depression and addiction, I was making more money than I ever made in my life. You know, uh, making really, really good money. But it was totally irrelevant to me because the money bought comfort. It didn't buy happiness. Yeah. Um, you know, there was no monetary value that said, I'm going to go out and buy myself something that's going to take away this pain. There was nothing I could buy. The only thing that would have taken away the pain was the thing that caused it in the first place, which, of course, was the death of my fiancé, right? So, um, you know, this is just a disgraceful misunderstanding. And, and really, like I said, the only male responsible for this, they did this with Aaron Lennon, where... £25,000 a week or something, £50,000 a week for Butler and Lance as he's depressed. That is just, just appalling journalism. It's not even journalism. No, is it? No, it's got a, it's got a press. And uh, it, it should be, but, but sadly, say, if you look at the comments on there, there's a lot of people justifying that. And well, I, remember, I was reading the comments, sorry to interrupt you, mate, I was no, reading the comments to your tweet. And some people were kind of justifying some of the things that have been said to Jesse Lingard because he's not a good enough footballer, or they don't believe that he's a good enough, you know, to be yeah. a professional, or you know, whatever. The response to the tweet made the point for me. Yeah, right. But then there's 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 no, look. There is another obviously not to the mental health side of it, but the the, the abuse side of it. I don't think uh, Jesse Lingard always has helped himself. No, of course uh, not. Off the pitch, he's made some errors of judgment, so we say. Um, but there's a few players who take similar sorts of abuse, and it's you know it's it's torrential, it's constant, it's torrential. It's, uh, Pogba, Lukaku took it. Um, Raheem Sterling takes an unbelievable mm-hmm. amount of abuse mm-hmm. from Liverpool fans still. Um, and I just I I don't really understand it. Look, I know there's there's. Well, think what you just said there. You said Jesse Lingard, Paul Pogba, Raheem Sterling. There's something else they all have in common. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. And so don't tell me there's not a racial element to it. Right? So sorry to interrupt you there, I mean, because yeah. one of the things that I want to address here is the uh, the blaming of victims and saying that they kind of brought it on themselves. Right? So, yes, it's true that Jesse Lingard has done some stupid things with uploading videos. But by no means does that even come close to justifying the level of abuse that's thrown yeah, in. Absolutely. Let, let, let's be honest here. He's uploaded a couple of stupid videos. So what? Okay, yeah, you know, yeah, they're, 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 they're annoying to me, but I'm a different generation. I, I, I don't find it entertaining. I find it irritating. Yeah. But to then feel that that somehow entitles me to then go and level abuse at the guy on that level. Bizarre, mate. I agree. Like you know, I mean, the idea that you are so perfect, that you have never done anything like this, never uploaded something stupid to Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's just that it didn't, it, it, I don't blame, it, it, I don't think that, you know, there's no correlation between, there, there shouldn't be, between a stupid video and entitlement of abuse. You can criticize them and say it's stupid, shouldn't be done, which Solskjaer did. But, you know, the guy came out and done an interview this earlier in the year. We talked about his domestic issues with his mother and all that. And unbelievably, people accused him of um, trying to use mental health and depression. And you just look at these people and you're like, why are you so dark? Why do you not believe it's possible that this human being could be suffering? And honestly, my view on Jesse Lingard's eyes completely shifted from one that I had very little patience and tolerance towards him, to not put mm. sympathy towards him, and feel like I do, would just like him to leave United, find a football club, much like Chris Mullin, enjoy his football again, have a whole new lease on life with a different environment, and something that his family. Because when you're at a massive football club like this, uh, there's an old saying that um, fame is the excrement of success. It can be the, 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 that fame can turn on you, and it can be a trap. So I'm sure there's days Jesse Lingard wishes he had anonymity, like a regular punter. That fame then turns on you when things are negative, because it amplifies all the worst, and and there's no escaping it. And I, I, I and I'll tell you something else. Side the balance is side. 
There's also lots of videos of Jesse Lingard stopping in the street and playing football with kids and doing things for children. Right? Yeah. And I've heard so, that he'll sign autographs yeah. for like an hour after the game yeah. as well. So, so, you know, let's have it right here. He didn't upload something where he was singing, you know, Nazi song. He didn't upload something doing something utterly heinous. You know, we've got for players that are guilty of sexual abuse, sexual assault, and all that to somehow escape. But, but Jesse Lingard, because he uploaded a couple of annoying videos, it, it's yeah. ridiculous, man. It really is sad. Well, do you know what? I um, very, I say this a lot, but, like, I'm so glad that when I was between 18 and 25 social media wasn't a thing Same. because I, I i made so many mistakes i said oh, stupid stupid stuff um as 20 you know as teenagers and ultimately you know uh early 20s that's what you do you make mistakes mm -hmm. you learn by them um and unfortunately these days uh people of that age or people of all ages when you make a public mistake on social media or whatever it be, Snapchat, whatever, um, it's there. And it's there. Once it's on the internet, it's there forever. Um, mm -hmm. And people, I feel like people hold uh, everyone to this higher standard where you see this thing about cancelling people for things which have happened 15 years ago. And I'm not talking about illegal things. I'm talking about a, a set, you know, a stupid comment when they were... 17 or something which you know depending on what the comment is obviously but like mm -hmm. i don't know i just i i find that trolls particularly it's like they've never made a mistake it's like they've never they've never made uh an error they've never failed at something they've never done something they shouldn't have um and they forget that very quickly and yeah. they forget that these are human beings at the other end of it first of all every human being makes mistakes that's how we learn Right? Yeah. And there's an element of rascality in all of this, right? Uh, such as the polarity of life. Uh, there is no such thing as always good. There's no such thing as always bad. There's no such thing as always on and off. It's just constant fluctuation between different states. Sometimes you're good, sometimes you're bad. You can never eliminate evil because there'd be no good if there was evil, if they both imply each other. So you have... The, the human beings will always have this. You will always, I don't care if you're a guru, I don't care if you're a Buddhist monk, it doesn't matter. There is no human being that has lived a perfectly flawless life without making mistakes. And actually you could say they're perfect in their imperfections because this is what we do. We get up every day, we make decisions based on lots of different variables. And sometimes we get these things wrong. That's what human beings do. And the very fact that, like, I see hero worship sometimes of people, and I actually feel sad for the people that get hero worship at times because people take away their ability to be human and they're not allowed to make a mistake because people expect them to be perfect. That's what happens with hero worship. But when you see how the sausage is made, you find out that not everyone is perfect. You know, I, I've, I've been very fortunate in my life to be able to hang around a lot of high-end professional athletes. You know, one of my best friends in the whole world is a world champion boxer, you know, Kyle Frampton, and him and I are very, very close. And I get to see Michael Collins, also a very good friend of mine. I get to see a lot of things that ordinary people or the public don't see it unless you're around this stuff. And what you see is that Lots of stuff doesn't make the news, both positive and negative. But these are normal people. But they're putting up normal situations where they're thrust into a public eye that they were never trained to deal with, that um, they are constantly under the spotlight. They're not allowed to make a mistake. They're not allowed to, 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 to say something wrong to somebody. In the they're constantly being provoked. They're constantly having abuse thrown at them. Sometimes they're with their children. Sometimes they're with their wives. And they get idiots. Idiots. And as soon as they respond, much like Harry Maguire, as soon as they respond, they're in the wrong. And, and so this is the trap. And that there's no, because they're a story, there's no allowance given for, for context or anything. And uh, I've learned myself, when I, even with Harry McGuire thing, wait till all the facts came out because you'll always find that uh, not I mean, like the human beings are mistakes, but quite often 
they're subject to the, the most unbelievable provocation that you couldn't imagine. So, well, um, just to finish off, I'd like to talk about Harry Maguire briefly, and then I'd like to just quickly talk to you about your fantastic work with uh, BTV Thanks, because you've had some unbelievable guests, mate. Unbelievable. Thanks, um, but with the Harry Maguire thing, um, what I find mind-boggling about celebrities generally, particularly footballers, is people seem to forget how uh, look, how irritating it can be if someone screams in your face. Mm-hmm. So imagine that you're out with your friends or your family or your missus, you've had a few drinks, and then a group of lads come up and they are chanting uh, right in your face. And it starts off as a bit, you know, it's jovial, blah, blah, blah. And then when you don't, when you get fed up of taking pictures or you want to move on, they get nasty and they start mm-hmm. getting aggressive and they, mm-hmm. they, you might be outnumbered or they might just be offensive, might mm-hmm. be saying things to the people you're with. Any other human being on the planet finds it very difficult not to react in that situation, particularly mm-hmm. if you feel in danger or you feel outnumbered, whatever it may be, and there's alcohol involved. But for some reason, people generally people seem to think that footballers or athletes shouldn't feel the same way that you or I would feel or anybody else would feel in that situation. And I find that really difficult. People could not wait to basically hang, metaphorically hang Harry Maguire once it came out he had been arrested. Could not wait. They were like, it was almost like they were typing out their, their, their reports or their tweets or whatever before... It, you'd even finished listening to the news come out, um, and I was, I I, I was fairly uh, like held back when I first spoke to Andy about it on the show on the Monday. I kind of said, you know, we'll have to wait and see, but he probably hasn't helped himself. He's put himself in a certain situation. He's the captain of Man United. Should he be doing it, especially when you consider the COVID aspect of it? But let's see what happened because there was starting to be a few rumours about, you know, his sister and, and this and that. And that, you know, that changes the whole outlook of the whole thing, I think, in, in my opinion. I, what did you make of it overall and uh, well, just the way it was covered? First of all, uh, I'm glad you asked the way it was covered because that's a really, really important question. Um, so the, this comes out, right? Anyone who has ever been away with lads, right, knows that one of the most common things in the world is to get pissed up and have a, a, a fight. It happens have all fight, the time. Have a sing. Yeah. Happens all the time. Right? Um, you know, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. You know, even here in California, right, in Los Angeles, you go into a bar, it's got, say, a football bar, and it's filled with people, expats, saying, when they're on the beer all day and they're rival football fans, how often does it kick off? Quite often, right? And then the next day, lads waking up and they're like, sorry. Right? It happens all the time, right? Yeah. So there's very few of us are immune to being in that situation. Um, but when you add any other factors of how Maguire, first of all, I didn't find anything the police said to be credible. I'm not someone here that uses confirmation bias and says because he's a Manchester United player, I, I'm very critical of United when it needs to be. In fact, it costs me significantly. Mm-hmm. As anyone who follows me will know, I'm, I, I, I certainly don't uh, colour my views based on my allegiances. I, I, I try to remain as neutral as possible when I evaluate something and say, look, what are, you know, if Harry Maguire is at fault, I will criticise him significantly, there's no question. But there has to be a time when he's not Manchester United captain. There has to be a time when he's not a Manchester United player, when he's a human being, right? So he goes out to this bar in Cyprus, or in Greece, sorry. And according to him, his sister, he thinks possibly she's under attack, right? Very serious situation. Um, some people will believe him, some people won't. We don't know, right? But Jonas until proven guilty, he was charged. He was convicted with a, a legitimate trial, let's be honest, right? Um, so he does what I would have done in that situation, and almost anyone would have done in that situation. It's your natural uh, instinct to protect your your family, right? Or any loved one or friend or whatever in that situation. I would hope you would. You know, so um, he, he went to protect his sister. He then gets attacked by plainclothes police officers, 
nothing of what you don't advise them as police officers. And I don't know about you, but if I'm getting attacked by people in plain clothes claiming to be police and wanting to put me on handcuffs, was that any form of identification? I think in that situation you are entitled yeah. to defend yourself and are entitled to have a certain degree of suspicion. Because if they're not police officers and Harry Maguire willingly went to them in handcuffs, the first thing would be in the press tomorrow is, why didn't he demand identification? Why did he do this? Why did he go so willingly? You know, it's his insanity. So uh, he defended himself which I don't blame him. Um, and then uh, he did that. And then uh, he he gives a, a, his version of the story, which conflicts with what was in the media. He's a Manchester United player, so he's, therefore he's massive news. But what we saw before Harry Maguire gave his side of the story was despicable, right? How do certain journalists pontificate and morally proselytize about Harry Maguire, when they're writing from newspapers who have normalized racism and xenophobia of the worst kind, who have amplified this and has resulted in attacks on human beings every single day, Joe Cox, we've in our life. No question as a result of the radicalization from certain newspapers and media outlets that um, they, they, they do this. I do them then tell Harry Maguire what he needs to do, what contrition he needs to show, and, and how he needs to calibrate his moral compass to, uh, to to be forgiven. You have no right to do that. You have big, no... Big journalists, by the way, who did that. Uh, who was yeah. Famous. So do you tell me how you can reconcile writing for newspapers that are openly racist, openly bigoted, proud of the fact, people who, by the way, defended Nazis. Mm, mock the right? People who, in World War II, defended Nazis, who took this out of Hitler, are going to turn around today and tell Harry Maguire what he needs to do for contrition. I mean, if I said what I really think, I, 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 you know, we'd be using a lot of profanity here. So to yeah. me, think that, how dare you? You are in no position to do that. Uh, certainly, you are in no position to hand out any moral lectures to anybody. And, and I just think that, uh, you know, look, and even if he gets in a scrap, and a fight. But it's much like Jesse Lingard. These are human issues. These are things that happen to people every day. Should it happen? No. But what do you want to do to the guy? Should he be stripped of the captaincy? No. I mean, listen, talk sport. They have lots of players from yesterday year on, right? I'm lucky enough to get the interview out of these guys. And the stories that they tell you about what went on in pre-season in the 1970s. Look, there's a story Manchester United could have played Ajax in the 70s in Holland. 80s, 70s, really, I think it was 80s. Um, but two hours before the match, half the players are still in a, a Dutch brothel. Nobody, nobody said anything. You know, it wasn't all the press. It wasn't, you know, so... Now, all of a sudden, we've got a national crisis because Harry Maguire got in the fight over a thing. My sister was at that. It's the reflection of two things. It's a reflection of how much Manchester sell papers, and it's a reflection of how quiet the transfer window is. Ridiculous coverage. Yeah, it was, I was just... I don't... I'm not a massive fan of the way most things are covered these days, I've got to be honest, but... It's sensationalized. The, the internet's responsible for this. Uh, nothing gets covered with balance anymore. Everything's sensationalized for attention, clicks, like three tweets, and all that. That's the game. But then you look at... I look at players like... Like for some of the players I mentioned earlier, like Paul Pogba, Raheem Sterling, these guys. There's certain newspapers and certain journalists who, if I was them, I would never give another interview. Or I just said the same for Harry Maguire. And Raheem Sterling is a guy that's disgraceful. Raheem Sterling is absolutely disgraceful. Some of the stuff that they've said. It is disgusting, mate. It is. Uh, this is a kid that plays for the England national team. Yeah. You have a bit of respect, right? And they've had it in for that kid for God knows how long. And some of the the they don't even attempt to conceal their motivation and what their biases, which is certainly not subconscious. Uh, and in the, the constantly pejorative way they describe him, it's just disgraceful. Yeah, I find it's frustrating, depressing. Um, okay, to finish off then, uh, I'm going to ask you two questions which I want a one-word answer to, and then we'll talk about uh, your show before we finish. Uh, mm -hmm. Gareth Bale 
or three questions because one's two part. Gareth Bale, we we didn't talk about him this week for the uh, this time for the first time in I think three episodes. Uh, will he sign for a Premier League club? Maybe. I hope so. Yeah, I do too. Um, will it be United? No, would have been that night. Yeah, I think that ship sailed. Um, and the second question is, who will win the Premier League this year? Just on the Gareth Bale one. If I was Spurs, I'd go back in for him. Um, but uh, who won How the did he do under Mourinho? When Marie, was he there when Mourinho was at Madrid? No, it came after. Mm. Um, but um, I think he's still a magnificent player. I saw his interview two days ago. Um, I love it when he comes to for, on Wales duty because he says what he thinks. He gives well, all I, and, interviews, and and you know he, he, this is the you know it's uh, again you know the guy that's what he's done for Real Madrid scored an overhead kick, a goal that every child who kicks a ball dreams of, an overhead kick to win a European Cup final against Liverpool. It was a dream goal. He's done so much for that football club, and yet still the Real Madrid fans. And the media. Because yeah, Florentino Perez is boy and all. It just it, it, it disgraceful. And Heidi, tonight they're going to get upset at Lionel Messi. These are the same people that wear white hankies like a teenager in his bedroom. Um, you know, every fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so so to me, I think with the way the despicable way they treat players, one bad game they boo them and then they, they want demand loyalty from them. Yeah. So to me, um, Gareth Bale is still a world class football player. He needs to be playing football every week. He should leave Real Madrid. He should go to another club. I hope he gets that move because it really is such a waste to see him sitting on the bench, to see him looking disinterested, to see that relationship with Zidane. Uh, I I hope he gets out of Real Madrid, gets out on loan somewhere and goes and plays his his football in the Premier League. I'd love to see him back in the Premier League. Yeah, he's won four Champions Leagues, by the way, with uh, Real Madrid and he had a big part to play in them winning them. what I like about him is that whenever he's on Welsh duty, he doesn't uh, he doesn't sugarcoat it. He gives his honest opinion because yeah. he's not able to do that for the rest of the year. And uh, you know, Real Madrid have treated him like utter garbage. Well, especially uh, for a club that constantly leaks in the bad news about him to the media. Yeah, um, he's entitled to come out and defend himself. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, uh, Phil, why? shouldn't he be able to say his piece when they treat him the way they have and also when they you know they, they could have got him out the door they sold him mm-hmm. to that Chinese club wasn't it and they yeah. put the plug on it so in, in a way I'm glad he didn't go there because I still think yeah. he's too good to be going to China at his age um, and yeah who do you think is going to win the Premier League I don't know I think uh, Liverpool have to start as favourite for me again. Uh, I think uh, the, I, I don't think it'll be the same as what it was last season in terms of run away from it, run away with it. Because I think it's very difficult to do what Klopp has done year in year out and not buy. And I don't think there's a lot of money at Liverpool. They're trying to get Thiago. Maybe Gini Wijnaldum leaves. Um, Thiago would be an excellent signing. Um, but uh, the fact that they haven't signed him and left him on the market would be a concern to me because um, the, you would imagine at that price they get they want to get him quickly before other clubs get involved and push the price up. I think Tiago has probably told them that that's his favourite choice if they can cut the deal. Um, I know you know it spoke to Tiago according to Jan Agafjortov. Um, wages are the problem, so I'm sure if the problem for now it's a problem for Liverpool. Yeah. It most likely will get addressed because you know Thiago's going to want to get him one on one play football. Um, if they can sign one or two and strengthen, the other problem position for me with Liverpool is Roberto Firmino, a uh, good, very good link player, but doesn't score enough goals. If Salah or Mane was to get injured, um, that would leave them very, very thin, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with City strengthen at the back, they're going to be better. When you look at what we talked about, United, the start of last season, United had no Fernandes. They had no Van de Beek. Uh, they did not have Martial in this form and did not have Mason Greenwood. And as we know, in the ice, United have got Mason Greenwood, they've got Martial in the best form of his career. They've got Paul Pogba, Bruno Fernandes in midfield. They've got now Van de Beek. Uh, I still think they'll bring one another two in. That is going to be a much stronger United. 
uh, where Southgate really going to have to deliver next season and be judged entirely um, as a legitimate manager and have nice money. So I think um, I think it's going to be very, very close, but Liverpool have to start as favourite right now. Um, but um, I, I think uh, we'll see Liverpool and City contest the title. United and Chelsea will be much closer. Um, I still think that'll be the top four to me. Yeah, I think that'll be the top four. I think Chelsea have done some superb business so far. Um, I still think they need a keeper. Um, I think yeah, I do think United will not be far off if they sign the right two players. So, for instance, if they sign, uh, I forget the centre back you mentioned, beginning with Carlo and Sancho, for instance. I think United will not be far off challenging for the title. Whether they'll be able to see it through over the whole season is another story, but I think they'll be a lot closer. Uh, Man City, I think, will be stronger, but I do think they need work. Um, my biggest concern, if I was a Liverpool fan, would be not improving the squad. Yeah, because um, they haven't really done that over two seasons, and they're not going to keep getting away with that. It's the one thing Fergie did. Every time United won the league, he always mm -hmm. strengthened sometimes more than he would when they didn't win the league. Um, okay, uh, Phil, I appreciate your time, mate. Um, Absolute pleasure, say anytime, mate. Tell us quickly about um, about your shows and your and everything on BTP because you've had some unbelievable guests, <laughs> Sunis, Michael Carrick, yeah. of them. Tell us. Yeah, well, you know, you catch my podcast at Beyond the Pitch on Twitter. Uh, we've been recording for years now. Uh, I am quite lucky to have access to a lot of big people in football that come on to my podcast. You mentioned Sunis. Michael Carrick on, um, you know, Martin Taylor, Andy Gray, you know, loads of current and ex-footballers. Um, so, um, you know, some people work in show business, actors, non-actors. So uh, you can find it all on there. And um, we're constantly getting new content, constantly reaching out to people. Uh, we've, like I said, we've been broadcasting a long time, so we've got good relationships with a lot of people. And it's just something that I love to do. And... Uh, you know, we, as we've covered before, say, on other shows about mental health, this is something that's very positive for me. Uh, it's a positive creative outlet for me. Um, I never did it for any particular egotistical reasons or success or, you know, to get anything back from it other than um, just an outlet for something that I love, just like most people who start podcasts. Um, you know, I get people asking me all the time about, you know, what are the keys to starting podcasts? And I always answer the same way. And we just do it for the love of what you're doing. If you go into it with anticipation of any type of success of being a celebrity or being Joe Rogan or whatever, it's not going to work out like that. And it completely changes your relationship with football because now it's a business relationship and not one of love or whatever the topic you're covering. Um, uh, you also find out that, um, that no matter who you are, you get turned down for guests, you get all these things, you know, most people, most of the time when you get a guest, there's been maybe 10 knockbacks, you know, and people, it takes years to build them. Most people after the third show stop doing them because they're not a celebrity and it just takes a lot of work, a lot of preparation and a lot of time. And, uh, but it's something that I love to do. And uh, honestly, say, I, I, I'm blown away by the success and by the people who follow me and by the people who listen to my podcast. And um, I never in a million years imagined I'd be reaching these types of people. Some of the direct messages that I get just blow me away by the people who listen to me. And um, I've had Premier League football managers contact me. I've had, you know, staff at Manchester United contact me. It's just, it's insane. Uh, rugby players, uh, like I said, singers and all this. And, um, it's just, it's beautiful and uh, it's something I love to do. Yeah, not many people get access to the Manchester United assistant management at the end of the day Thank you, man. Uh, to talk to. So I think that says a lot about it. So yeah, people, the uh, the only two football podcasts you need will be uh, Beyond the Pitch and of course the Andy Campbell Football Show, which is live every Monday, 7.30 with a different guest each week. Uh, this Monday we're joined by... Doncaster Rovers legend James Coppinger and uh, we have a new guest each week 
uh, every Monday we've got a, an ex-Man United legend coming up actually in a couple of weeks, which will be a very interesting show among others. You can find all our shows at youtube.com slash acepodcastnation. Give us a subscribe. That's the best way to support us uh, most directly. And, um, and also a big thank you to Away Day Apparel for sponsoring this episode. You can visit their website www.awaydayapparel.co.uk uh, to check out their latest clothes and offers. And if you use the code AA Podcast Nation, you can get 10% off all orders. And a big thank you to them for sponsoring the show. Give them a follow on social media as well. But uh, in the meantime, Phil, it's been a pleasure, my friend. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. I always enjoy talking to you, mate. It could be going for ages and ages, but I'm so aware of taking up all your time. You're totally fine, man. Let's do it again soon. Say thank you so much, man. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, Bob. Everyone's listening. Cheers. Network.